Um, the first thing I wanted to talk about was you had shared about how sometimes we feel like life is so complicated. Just, I think, it, and sometimes it is complicated. There's different things going on in life. I have five children, and sometimes life gets complicated because um, they they don't get up in the morning, and um, and then I have to yell at them, and I don't like to do that. And so I have, you know, five kids, and so it can get complicated. They don't want to make their bed or do their laundry, and so I've got 25 loads all by myself, you know, stuff like that. Um, But how does the Holy Spirit's role come in and make things and make things not complicated, maybe? Well, I don't know if you guys remember, but we did a um, one of the messages that we did on the series of the Holy Spirit was how. We, we talk about all the gifts of the Spirit and the Spirit's work in our lives. And sometimes I think we complicate it. Religion winds us up and complicates things. Like there's, um, there's so much in theology that sometimes we get so wrapped up in the, in the understanding of just our theology and knowledge itself that we miss the point. And the point is, is that the Holy Spirit comes to make Jesus more plain to us. He doesn't come to complicate our lives. He comes to help us, to empower us, and to make Jesus more plain to us. And so, um, you know, many times in all of everyone's life is complicated in one sense or another. I, I, what, can I see hands if you, your life is or was or is, is expected to be complicated possibly at some point? You can raise your hand. I think we all know life is complicated. Like my wife has five kids, and when we're in public, we have to count, and we have to get in it. When we get out of the car, we hear clown music. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And we're counting all. And it's, you know, we, we moved recently. And praise the Lord for moving into a new home, but also praise the Lord for moving and getting rid of some baggage. You know, you always have extra junk in the garage, Right. So we're cleaning out our junk yard cell. And there was one point I almost had a breakdown because I'm in the garage and there's stuff everywhere. There's mice poop and roaches. And, and I'm just like, and I didn't like, it was so unor, it was so complicated. And sometimes in life, like it's, everything's complicated, but the spirit of God comes and he makes Jesus more plain. And sometimes he, he'll speak peace in the midst of our complication. And he'll just say, everything's going to be okay. And that's a part of the Spirit's work in our lives. And also, He comes to reveal Jesus. And Jesus is the capital W Word of God. So sometimes we get so complicated in theology and all this stuff, it's like we forget that it's all about Him revealing Himself to us. Truth is a person. Can I hear an amen? So we need to not be so complicated. And we get wound up by religion and all this stuff. And I mean, I think the Holy Spirit just empowers us to enjoy life more. Just enjoy life. Like God, made, he, it started in a garden he called Eden, which means pleasure. God wants you happy, Pastor Chris. Pastor Chris has been putting that on Facebook and people have been like, God doesn't want you happy. Ugh, staunch religious people. It started in a garden called Eden. He does, he wants you blessed. He's a blesser, not a taker. Well, the Lord gives and takes away. No, that's what Job said when his theology was wrong. He repented of it later. Don't take it out of context. That's the shadow. That's the old covenant. Jesus is the reality. And Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. And the Holy Spirit helps us live life and just enjoy life in its fullest. That's so good. That's so, isn't that good? 
Jesus loves us. Um, it's funny because you talk about, I always, raised in the church, you always have this picture of the Holy Spirit is what makes Christianity more complicated, separated. People don't like tongues or they don't like prophecy or they don't like this. And really, that's the fun stuff, right? That's the fun stuff. If you didn't get to prophesy to people, how much fun would Christianity be? That would not be fun. I love it when we go out with teams and do love explosion and stuff, and then somebody gets a word for somebody. And they're like, you know, God is saying this about your life. And the person, it's almost like they're alive for the first time because somebody spoke a word that was like straight from heaven to them. Like that's the fun part of Christianity, I think. So I love that you talk about how the Holy Spirit makes it not complicated. Um, it is Christmas time. It is my very most very favorite time of the year. I can't wait to open my presents, but I also can't wait to have all my family open their presents. I work probably for about five months just strategically planning Christmas and and how I'm going to wrap and what I'm going to buy and... <laughs> and he keeps wanting more children, so I just have to keep spending more money. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. Um, and so you talked about presence from not just the Holy Spirit, but the, the Father God has presence, and even Jesus has gifts. And, um, and I would be devastated as much as I work all five months building up to Christmas devastated if my kids didn't want to open up their presents or if somebody I bought for didn't want to open up their presents. And so you talked about how all three parts of the Godhead have gifts to the church. And sometimes through whether it's our lack of understanding or our um, offense against Holy Spirit or, or something like that, we refuse or we choose not to open up these different gifts. So why don't you talk about that, like what the differences are for a minute? Well, we broke it down a little bit more in the message. Wow, this mic is clammy. So I'm sorry. That was a little distracting. Um, we broke it down in one of the messages where we talked about all the different gifts from God. Now, when I say God, how many know he's th three persons in one, same substance, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? So in the Bible, we have, let me read you three verses from 1 Corinthians. It says, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. Say spirit. There are diversities of ministries, but the same Lord. Say Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but the same God who works all in all. So we have three verses here that actually assign three different types of, of gifts, of ministries and activities to three members of the Godhead. The first one is Spirit. Second is Lord. Most of the time when you see that, it's referring to Jesus. And then the third is God. It's talking about God the Father. So in Scripture, 1 Corinthians 12, we have the gifts of the Spirit, nine gifts. Then we have in Romans chapter 12, um, we have the gifts of the Father, which are all the motivational gifts. And we have uh, seven different gifts that the Father gives people that are just wired into them, into their nature and their identity. Then in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, we have the gifts that Jesus gives, which are people, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. That's why it says ministries. These are ministry gifts. 
These are the gifts that Jesus gave. He ascended into heaven. He gave us these gifts. So all of these should be active in the church. One of the reasons that we talked about this is because a lot of times in a culture like us where we love the Holy Spirit, right? We love the working of heaven in our, in our midst. But without Christ's gifts and the natural gifts of administration, all the other things that the Father gives us, we can be a little bit off. We need all of them. We need all of God. We need all of who he is. The Father has gifts for you. Jesus has gifts for you. The Holy Spirit has gifts for you. And he wants you to unwrap all of them and not just select what you want. Some people love the gifts of the Spirit. Some despise them. Hello? So I think that the point of it is, is there's so much in God. And we can't be afraid We can't be offended at the Holy Spirit, but we also can't be afraid of like, okay, there are gifts in my life. Like the Bible says in Ephesians 4 that Jesus' gifts are people to you. So guess what? Your leaders, your pastors, they're gifts from Jesus to you. Sometimes it's hard to accept a gift because of the package it's in. And and that's why we have to, okay, that's from you, Jesus. Even, Even in its imperfection. And we have to receive what God has for us and unwrap what he has and not grieve the Father or grieve the Holy Spirit or grieve Jesus because he's like, you need this. And another thing that I would just touch real quick is you can't separate the gift from the giver. We like to do that. And you can't separate the gift from the giver. In his, Phil's been saying this lately, in his presence, there's presence because it's who he is. It's like, you know, I don't get healing as a gift because God is in a good mood, because we know he's always in a good mood, right? Thank God for that. He doesn't, you know, well, he doesn't sleep, but if he were to wake up on the wrong side of the bed, that wouldn't be fun. But he's not like us. He's always in a good mood. But I don't get healed because God feels like, well, I think I'll just heal him right now because I'm in a good mood. He is the healer. Healing comes out of him. He is my healer. His presence heals. He can't not heal. It's like asking God not to love. It's not possible. It's as if you ask, God, I don't want your gifts. It's not possible. He's just going to keep giving. He's just going to keep loving. So we can't separate the gift from the giver. I love my wife, and I wouldn't say, I love you, honey, but I don't like your face. If we say, like, oh, I love you, Jesus, but no, I'm not into those gifts. Or Holy Spirit, I love you. You know I love you. Spirit of the living God, but no tongues for me. We have to receive what God has for us. And open our hearts. And if our hearts are open, then we can receive what he has for us. Amen. And sometimes we think too much and we close our hearts. And if we open our hearts and allow God to just pour into us, then our thoughts come in line. You know, things that that are in between intellectual walls and these things that we built up, complicated things. So don't separate the gift from the giver. And understand, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they all have gifts for you. Go back and listen to the message if you like. Uh, I think it's important because every church, every person needs to understand that there are uh, there is this beautiful picture of a of the Godhead giving gifts to his kids, and they're all represented in Scripture. Amen. All right, that's good. That's good stuff. Um, can't separate the gift from the giver, so you guys have to like me. Um, something, one of, probably one of the best messages that I really loved out of all of these was you talked about different cultures and honoring cultures. Um, I think we have the best church ever, 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 ever. 
But it's not the only church, and it's not the only expression of who God is. And I think understanding that op- opens up your heart to to love more. I read a status on Facebook. It says, if your theology doesn't lead you to love more, it's not real theology. It's not who God is. Um, and it was like, oh, that's so good, because if our heart doesn't expand more to love the whole entire body of Christ, then we're not really reading his word through the person of Jesus. We're reading it through our own lens. And so you just talked about cultures and and understanding the difference between church culture and heaven's culture because they're different. And sometimes we get so wrapped up in our church culture that if it doesn't look like what we know, then we don't think it's an expression of who God is. Instead of understanding we have to live from heaven's culture and then we can embrace the body of Christ as a whole. Why don't you talk about that for a minute? So how many have come from a conservative church culture background? Anybody here? Like hymnal books? That's just a, the way of doing things, you know? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for the word of prayer. And it's very somber, and it's very quiet. And, and some of that is okay, you know, but it's just a church culture. Now, we have our own, and usually church is an extension of the leadership and the hearts of the people. Um, then you have church cultures that are like, you know, more friendly to the seeker, you know, like you, you don't have to know anything about Christianity, but you just come as you are and you walk in. It's like, hi, welcome to our church. Praise God. And it's like this whole genre of, you know, I mean, the pastor looks a certain way and he taught like, well, we just want to make sure you know that you're welcome here because God loves you and he wants to turn your frown upside down. That's a seeker friendly church, right? Hello? Are you all awake this morning? I know it's first service. And then you have charismatic Pentecostal church. Come on, somebody. I need somebody to get with me right now. I know it's 9 a.m., but God is in this place. And if you join your heart to mine, he'll manifest his love. Someone in here needs some love. I'm looking at your face. I can tell. Someone in here needs some deliverance. Some of y'all been set free. If you've been set free, raise your hand and say, Hallelujah. That's a church culture. So we have all these different church cultures, right? So many denominations. After the Reformation, just, I mean, the talk about church splits, just. But all these streams, guess what? Even in the different streams, Jesus, you can drink living water in them. Like, I, I'm so careful not to criticize ministry. So that's the foundation. Here's what is important, though. This is what I want you to get about what Rochelle's asking. We have to unlearn if we've, if we've adopted a culture that separates us from other cultures and the world, then we're missing it. Heaven's culture is the most inclusive family on the planet. And sometimes, well, I prophesy. Well, I speak in tongues. Well, our church moves in the gifts, and you're a cessationalist sinner. And, and we, I'm just joking, but, you know, like that's kind of, I've noticed in Charismatic churches, there's a real separatist, elitist mentality. And I don't like that. And I don't think that's God's heart at all. And so we have to come under and serve people. The gifts are given for the profit of all. They're to help me build you up, not make you feel little because you don't have what I have. So there's the difference. So we glean from all the cultures. Cultures are wonderful. I mean, you know, just earthly, like just cultures, you know, Latino families, I love the Latino culture. You go over to somebody, you're going to get fed, and you're going to get fed well, and you feel like familia, and God is good, and amen? 
you go over to the Messises and the Madrids. I mean, we're just going to eat Chile Verde and our mouths will be on fire, but God is good. There's so many good things about family and culture, but we got to be careful not to, not to become uh, cliquish in our culture and in our way. Our hearts should be open to love people. And that's what this Holy Spirit does. Holy Spirit doesn't give us things to make us feel superior to someone else. He gives us something so we can build someone else up. That's so good. Um, something I had, I was taught at a young age is that um, the tongues is the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? How many was taught that, right? That's what I was taught. The, the initial or the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is you speak in tongues. So I was like seven when I spoke in tongues. Um, so I was filled with the spirit for a really, really long time. So holy. But then you talked about certain things in this message. Um, in this series, you said something, you said, um, love never builds walls. It walks through them. That was something you said. It was just so stuck with my heart. Um, and you talked about that tongues isn't not necessary, the evidence of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is love. And we can speak in tongues but not have love. Um, and if he is love, the evidence should be love. Right? Yeah. I think the Holy Spirit wants all of you to speak in tongues. Paul said it to the church. But that's not the only evidence. It's one of the evidence is if you look in the book of Acts, when they're filled with the Spirit, that's, that's one of the things that happened. But we can't say that if someone doesn't, they're not filled with the Holy Spirit. The purpose, I think, of this message, I really felt God stirring, is Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 12, 13, and 14. He's like telling a story. His narrative, he talks about the body of Christ and the significance of even the members of the body that don't very, that usually don't get honor, like, you know, toes. They're stinky and they're not important, right? And so we have this picture of a, a body. And Paul says, the members of the body that don't get honor, you need to honor them more. And I think that's the, the representation of a culture that the Holy Spirit is moving in. There is edification. There's love. Um, there, we don't build up walls. Uh, we walk through them. And, and, you know, there's a difference between walls and boundaries. Like in some house, we, we've just been looking for houses and, um, and we're going around, and certain houses just are not fitting for us. And one of them would be a very formal, like a separate formal living room, a separate formal dining room. Some people like that, but it's just not fitting for us because we've got a lot of kids. And we like to be all in one room and just hang out together. And, and I use that as an analogy because sometimes I think we become so formal in the way that we talk about Holy Spirit and the gifts and all this stuff that, um, that the evidence is not just I can prophesy and speak in tongues, but the real evidence is I have love. And Paul gives this beautiful, this is like this, this narrative that comes to this pinnacle in his writing in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. Everybody knows what it is, the love chapter. He says, these, all these gifts are great, and I don't want you to be ignorant. And I'm going to teach you order, but let me express something. The gift is love. And you could do all that stuff, even give your money to the poor. But if you don't have love... It's, it's not worth anything. It's just noise, right? And then he talks about the order of all the gifts. So I would say the evidence of the Holy Spirit working in your life is it's going to glorify who Jesus is. And God is love. 
And, and, and so there is this, this uh, pleading for unity in the body. Paul is saying you should be, I don't want to hear about this division anymore. I'm paraphrasing that Paul's writing in several places in his letter, his first letter to Corinth. He says there's, there's schisms in the body. And we don't want any more of that. So love edifies. Love is a passion for unity. Love builds up. Love is inclusive. Um, and love honors every part of the body. And so that is, I think, love is the evidence of somebody that is filled with the Holy Spirit. All those other things are part of it. But if you glorify who Jesus is, Jesus, your Lord, that's why he says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If anyone says Jesus is Lord, you can't say that without being filled with the Holy Spirit or the evidence of the Holy Spirit. Why does he say that? It doesn't mean that if you just say Jesus is Lord. Can everybody say that? Say Jesus, your Lord. Now you could say that and you, you could think, well, Lord, what does Lord mean? Lord could mean anything to you, right? Like he's like, yeah, he's Lord somewhere in the spirit realm. I mean, there, there are Satanists that believe he's Lord, but not King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What Paul was saying is there's no confusion. The Holy Spirit, demons will confuse who Jesus is. Holy Spirit will never, he glorifies Jesus as God, as the perfect image of the father. It's he's Lord of all. So when the Holy Spirit's in your life, Jesus will be glorified. What does that mean? Love is going to just be explosive in your life. And everything surrounding you will be a result of that. You'll, you'll want to see unity and you'll want to include and you'll want to build people up. It's so good. It's so good. I love it. Love is the evidence. A lot more people probably are filled with the Spirit than we think then, right? <laughs> they might not speak in tongues, but their expression of who God is because of love in their life. Sometimes I love what you said in our you know, raised in Pentecostal, that kind of charismatic, we do separate. We separate, well, we're a spirit-filled church, so we're much better than your non-spirit-filled church, which is so not true because we, we might not reach the same kind of people. And it's not honoring and valuing and esteeming. Um, the last week you talked about, I loved last week, um, because you talked about women in ministry. And it's my very favorite topic. Just kidding. Um, not really. It's, it was an awesome message and you just, um, but I want to talk about something that you said about tongues. You talked about something and I think it's a revelation that I don't, I haven't heard a lot. Um, and so you're the only person I've ever heard talk about it, but you talked about, um, a private, um, edification of the spirit language and a public exhortation of the spirit language. Why don't you just talk about that for a second? The difference between the two, to me, is just tremendous for the body of Christ to know um, because then we understand our place and the place of tongues in the church and a, and a corporate gathering. So, Well, there's a, there'd be a lot to cover on the subject, but last week we went over and we basically went nearly verse by verse through 1 Corinthians 14. Um, it's important that you see Paul describe the gift of tongues in two facets. He talks about how when you speak in tongues, you speak to men, uh, not to men, but to God, and it edifies your spirit. Then he equates prophecy um, to a, interpreting one's tongue. And then he goes on and he, and he talks about the interpretation of tongues. When tongues is used, he said, if I come to you speaking in tongues. So there's two separate ways that he uses it. In worship, and, and then, uh, you know, that you're, you're praying in the spirit, you're speaking mysteries in the spirit. And it's like a spiritual language, if you will. Um, and then he goes on and, and then he talks about it must be interpreted. If I come to you speaking with tongues. So he says, 
tongues is speaking not to men, but to God. But then he says, but if I come to you speaking in tongues. So there's a difference. There's a private use of the prayer language. Then there's a public use where I'm like communicating something in the spirit to somebody else. So he gives a conclusion before he uh, goes in a little deeper about order in the church. And he says, the conclusion is I'll pray with the spirit. I'll pray with understanding. I'll sing with the spirit and I'll sing with understanding. So he's giving them an understanding of this is balance. If you do both, it's a, it's good. Um, first of all, it's important too to know that he's writing. I'm not going to reiterate the whole message. It's online. You can listen to it if you want. But he's writing a church where these things were totally out of order. A lot of pagan worship um, had influenced the church of Corinth. So they're Gentiles, and they don't know the ways of the Spirit. And they feel like culturally what it was like was when, when they lose all inhibition and control, that was when this, they were a channel of the Spirit. And then Paul tells them, no, that's not how it works. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Like if you have a prophetic word, just wait until someone else's is done. I mean, it was just madness. So it's like, have you ever been in a prayer meeting when everyone prays in English at the same time in tongues? And you can't really understand, like, who do I say amen to? Who am I listening to? What is going on in here? That's, I think that's a little, uh, not even close to the church of Corinth, but that's a picture of kind of what I think Paul's addressing is you know, let somebody lead and say amen and pray behind them. And, you know, like our volume when we're worshiping, if, if we're dishonoring the people around us, then, then in essence, we can quench the spirit because public worship isn't just about our engagement with God. It's everyone's engagement with God together. Does that make sense? So there's two sides of the gift of tongues. There's the private prayer language, which builds your spirit up. Then there's the public use where someone gives a tongue and then they explain what the revelation teaching or interpretation is. Um, and Paul breaks it down and it's simple. Now, when we talk about the subject, it's easy to retain all the scriptures that say, well, I'd rather speak five words in my understanding than 10,000 in tongues. Or, you know, like we have all these little verses that we like to pick out. But the one right before it says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. And then at the end of the chapter, he says, don't forbid to speak with tongues. Just let it be done in order. So we've got to read the whole thing in context and also understand that because otherwise we would have to only allow three or two people in here to pray in tongues the whole service. He's not talking about the private use during worship. You can pray in the Spirit during worship. Sing in the Spirit. Just make sure that you're not talking to someone else. He said, if I come to you speaking in tongues, totally different. Um, so I hope that helps. But. So good. I loved how you talked about, too, interpretation in the Scripture just means expression. It's not interpretation like we we would interpret a language, an earthly language. Like, you know, if you said something in Spanish, I would say it in English. But it's an expression. So when a worship leader is singing and they're, and they're worshiping in English and they're worshiping in tongues, it's, it's an expression of their worship and their heart. And so you can pray in tongues in a service and somebody can hear you. As long as it's an expression and there's also English and there's also... Um, like where somebody can understand what you're doing and saying. So it's so good. Um, and then uh, if anybody has questions, go ahead and text them in now. And um, we will, is the number up there? Good. Okay. Um, my last question, and I loved what you talked about, about women in ministry. And um, and you said something, you totally, there's a, there's a verse that says women keep silent in church. And obviously we don't believe that because um, I'm talking right now. So our church doesn't embrace that. And we're a four-square church also, so our church was founded 
the Foursquare denomination was founded by a woman, Amy Simple McPherson, um, awesome woman of God. So you talked about how Paul was addressing the church and um, addressing the church of Corinth, and, and you kind of, like, debunked some of these different thoughts and ideas. And um, But I loved how you said it. He, The last verse um, in First Corinthians, it says, the last two verses, um, if you're reading it from, like, um, NAS or... NIV, it says, therefore, and it says brethren in the, in the King James, which means brothers and sisters, but therefore brothers and sisters desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. And to me, he's saying, women, you're going to desire, pursue it. Women admit, like pursue those things. Um, I'm a firm believer in, um, women in ministry. Obviously, I believe I'm called to ministry, but I also believe in the order and the function of a woman in ministry and what it looks like. Um, a, a heart submitted. I I would stress a woman in submission probably more than you would, maybe. I think it's important if you're in ministry and you're a woman that you are submitted. Um, if you're not married, then you're submitted to your pastor or somebody else. But, um, um, one of our spiritual fathers says he would never let a woman even lead a prayer group who isn't submitted to her pastor or her husband. And I think that's important. Um, she needs a covering. And I, the reason I think it's important is because we were designed, as ladies, we were designed to be under a covering of our, of our husbands. And if we don't, if that's not in, if that's not in the, the case, then we have men in our lives that we can trust and submit ourselves to. Um, but I love, I love that I'm released in this house as a woman in ministry. I love that we have women that are released in this place because there is such a value for women in this day to minister who they are, to be who God made them to be, extensions of the, of the Father. Um, I think it's a disservice when we don't have women in ministry because it's not a full expression of who God is. The full expression of who God is, is that we were all created in his image. If you leave out half of, if you leave out one gender, that's, you're missing half of who God is. So I love that we're released in this house. And he did, he blessed us last week, um, Pastor Zach, and he just said he released us into what God's called us to do. So it's good. So let's get some, oh. Just real quick. Verses 34 and 35 are very misunderstood in 1 Corinthians 14. If you are here last year or last week, um, I want to, it will be last year in a few weeks. So, but I want to, um, I want to touch on this real quick. Paul says, let your women, or the, the, the writing says, let your women keep silent in the churches. They're not, they're not permitted to speak. They are to be submissive. As the law says, if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home for it is shameful for women to speak in church. Verse 36, or did the word of God come to you originally from you, or was it only you that it reached? Now, let me stop right there for a minute, because what we don't see in these writings, first of all, there's no punctuation in the original. Now, what we talked about last week was that verses 34 and 35 traditionally are taught that, well, the culture back then was the women would sit on one side, the men would sit on the other and they weren't educated like the men were, so they were interrupting service. That's one way it could be interpreted. There's a few other cultural explanations. But if Paul was actually saying 
it's shameful for a woman to say anything in church, then he would be contradicting himself in 1 Corinthians 11 when he talks about how women should prophesy. So it doesn't make sense. Matter of fact, the verse 33 says, God's not the author of confusion. I'm confused if I think Paul wrote that. So what does that mean? It's in the Bible. It's in the original transcripts. Well, let me explain something to you that you're not seeing that if we read Greek, we would see there's something in verse 36 called an eta. And it's a little tiny word in the Greek that is written to express a disassociation or a disapproval of something. Now, Paul quotes the Old Testament. He quotes Jesus. He quotes a lot of things all throughout this book, all over 1 Corinthians, probably I think close to like 20 times he quotes. And usually when there's a quotation or when he's quoting, there's no quotes in punctuation in the Greek, but there's this little symbol, an eta, where he expresses disassociation or disapproval. It's kind of like this in the, in the English language. I would go, what? Like a, like that's literally, it's a little tiny word in the Greek. It would be like nonsense. Like what? You believe that? And right in verse 36 in the Greek, there's an eta in the original transcripts. And here's what a lot of scholars believe. So let me just throw this at you because Paul obviously is not contradicting himself. Right after he says, God's not the author of confusion. Then he tells women they can prophesy in chapter 11. Now he says, let them be quiet. Here's what many scholars believe because uh, of the Greek language that he's quoting somebody in the church of Corinth writing to Paul saying, we want the women to keep silent. And then Paul says, he's literally quoting them in verses 34 and 35. Then Paul says, nonsense. Did the word of God come to you? And then he seals it with, therefore, brothers and sisters, desire to prophesy and don't forbid to speak with tongues. Let things be done decently and in order. So the traditional interpretation, yeah, you could release women that way, but it doesn't quite get it. I mean, you know, even in the aspect, a lot of Greek scholars say, even if this was Paul writing, for Paul to say, let them learn from their husbands at home, that was a liberation. Women can learn now. Like, in this culture, that doesn't sound, you know, like back then, that's women were not educated. So Paul was releasing them. But I don't think it was Paul. I think he was quoting them. I think he was actually quoting either their letter or one of the Corinth congregation members. Um, saying, well, women need to keep silent. That's what the law says and blah, blah, blah. And then he expresses his disapproval of those two verses. She says, what? Nonsense. Right there in the Greek in verse 36. Powerful. That's really good. Well, we have a question. So I'm going to go ahead and ask. If you have more questions, go ahead and text them in. And it says, um, how does, what does quench the Holy Spirit mean? Um, Bill Johnson says, we grieve the Holy Spirit when we do what's wrong. We quench him when we don't do what's right. So a quenching could be like, imagine a flow of water, okay? Out of your heart flows rivers of living water, and we drink in living water, the Holy Spirit, John 7, 37 and 38, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. If you were to cut that off and dam that up because of your heart, choosing to be pointed in a different direction, you're quenching the Spirit's work in your life. I think it could be applied to so many different things, not just like ministry. I think I can grieve the Holy Spirit um, if I, like, you know, I, I choose to 
you know, get angry and just like get bitter about something or not forgive somebody. I think that's grieving. But I think when I choose, like, uh, I choose not to lay my life down for my bride as a husband. By the way, that's a good role. Husbands, like when she was talking about submission, it's a blessing. It's a covering. My job as a husband is to protect my wife. I'm a protector. I'm a husband. And that's, I lift her up and I lay my life down. I think I could quench the spiritual work in my life if I don't, if I don't, the way I'm supposed to love my kids, I'm quenching. I'm not doing what's right, in essence. I'm cutting off the flow of grace or the flow of God's spirit, that living water. Um, it's like quenching a hose that's flowing. It's quench the spirit. It can also be translated like putting out a fire. So like there's a flame. Have you ever felt quenched? Like you're like telling someone, they're like, oh yeah, real cool, dude. Like that's great. You're like sharing some revelation with somebody or whatever. You're excited about something new and they're just like, all right, cool, right on, bro. And they don't really have the same excitement as you do because it's your fire, it's in you. Or you have, you know, like a word from God or something and someone's like, oh yeah, I knew that like last year or I knew that when I first got saved. That's like baby stuff. And you're like, oh, quench. That's when your spirit's quenched. Well, the Holy Spirit sometimes stirs us and he's moving and he's fanning. And sometimes we can quench his flame of fire within us because maybe we're like, we push it down or we, we kind of like turn away. So I think in my um, study of the scripture, I think that's what I would describe what quenching the spirit would be. I always felt growing up like if um, I would sometimes as a young woman or a young adult or a teenager, I would always feel like my heart would shut off to the Holy Spirit because I wouldn't respond. So I always felt like, well, you know, if the Holy Spirit continues to talk to you over and over and over again and you disassociate yourself or you don't respond, then he'll just stop talking to you. What do you feel about that? Sometimes it feels like he stops talking. I think the psalmist expressed this um, a couple times. Two different psalms talks about God being silent. Um, I think sometimes he uh, he may do things sovereignly that make us long for him more. Now, when I say that, I don't mean like the Lord never, he doesn't put sickness on you or like, you know, try to teach you a lesson. Now he'll seek my face with this flu. You know, God, that's not God's heart. He doesn't work like that. He's the healer not the sick giver. Um, and, and so I think sometimes the Lord, well, like maybe sometimes we get familiar with the tangible presence of God. This is just my, my own pondering. I've been saved since I was 17. So I, I, I'm still new at this. Like God is, I got a long way to go. But I think, have you ever felt like God's silent? Has anyone ever felt that way? I think that it could be the, like maybe what he wants to share, we just won't get it. So he's not going to waste his breath, you know? I mean, in, in essence, like God's not going to give us something that will, you know, let, will harden our hearts. Um, because sometimes we can harden our hearts because we can't receive what he wants to give us. You understand what I'm saying? Like we can't handle it. So like when the scripture talks about how Pharaoh's heart was hardened, that could have just been, you know, because of what God was pouring out, this this protection on his people that, it hardened the Pharaoh's heart because he despised the people. It it wasn't necessarily God hardening his heart. So God doesn't want your heart. He wants it soft. So maybe he's silent, but I think sometimes we just have dirty ears. 
That's just the way I see it. I think he's always speaking. He's always giving life. He's always wooing us. He's always saying, I love you. Like, I, I just, you know, he's pouring out his heart. His heart is beating for you right now. Like he's saying, you're my daughter. You're my son. I love you. I have gifts for you. I have a destiny for you. I have a plan for you. And sometimes we don't want to hear it. And so I don't think God's silent. I think we point our heart in the wrong direction. Or maybe we, we're, it's our, we have earwax with unforgiveness and bitterness towards people. And our heart has become callous even towards the, the most merciful, pure heart in existence, the heart of the Father. And it's hard to connect with his heart if our heart is is different, you know? Like we have intimacy with God, um, but if our heart is like kind of hard, then it's going to be hard to engage with God. So I don't know, but I, that's the way I see it. It's one, one of those ways maybe. All right, well, that's it for the questions. No other questions? Hurry, text five, four, three, two. One, zero. Doesn't take me that long. I can text in about two seconds. <laughs> well, um, we can just bless you. Like, if anybody have questions? You just want to blurt it out. Somebody that doesn't want to text it. Is it coming through? Okay. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I'm going to put it on the mic just so we can hear it. Her question is, um, can the enemy understand your t- prayer language? And she's asking, some ministries specifically will pray in tongues so the enemy can't hear be- for deliverance and certain things like that, right? Okay. Um, the, the Bible doesn't specifically say. It says it's mysteries in the spirit. But 1 Corinthians 13 says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, here's what I believe. I think that the mysteries, like I've heard it taught, as you have probably too, that the enemy can't understand what you're saying. It's a secret language between you and God. Now, it could be, and I like that. Matter of fact, when I first got filled with the Spirit, I felt, that's what I felt like. It was like, oh, I finally get to talk to you with this this language, like there's the deepest expressions of my heart. The spirit was helping me with groanings that I couldn't utter on my own. He was helping me um, communicate with God in that moment. And, and there was just this intimacy, this interchange. I can't explain. It was just amazing. I had all the faith in the world in that moment. So I think that there are many cases where I don't think the enemy can understand. It's mysteries in the spirit, you know. But I also think that because there are tongues of men and of angels that I think sometimes we're dispatching angelic hosts and we don't even realize it. So we could be, in essence, creating a deliverance so we don't have to say something. I mean, because the enemy speaks all kinds of languages it's, and it's spiritual too. So we could be doing something in the spirit and, and what we're praying is causing angels to move and deliverance is taking place. So I wouldn't say like the enemy can't. Well, and also maybe when we're praying and maybe the Lord gives us like this warfare thing where we're just, we are executing the victory that was won at Calvary, by the way. We don't fight when we do warfare. We execute victory. There's a difference. We already have the land. 
We have the gun and the badge. All we got to do is say, oh, by the way, this land was taken 2,000 years ago. You got to move. And we're executing the victory that was already won. We live from victory, not for victory. Warfare is not, I got to fight the devil, so if I scream loud enough, he'll run. No, you resist the devil and he flees. You don't yell at him. You say, the Lord rebuke you. When I raise my voice, the devil doesn't respond more. But when I, sometimes there's this, this volume of this roaring tongue, and I think that we are making declarations in the spirit that maybe we don't understand, but we could be declaring to angelic hosts and ranks of heavenly hosts that are creating confusion in the camp of the enemy. And maybe they don't understand what we're saying, but they might hear a sound that causes confusion to them. And I, I like the way Phil says it. When we cause confusion in the camp of the enemy, it's like a jet fighter pilot losing all of its, all of its instruments at once, and they just go right into the ground. Does that make sense? Confusion that just causes Satan to fall like lightning from heaven, the accuser. So maybe he can't. Maybe there's times, though, in, in one way there's a sound we're releasing that there's an understanding of that spirit language that, oh, that like there's judgment. There's, they're executing, like, we got to move. We got to get out of town, you know. Um, so I don't hope that helps. Did that make sense? That answer makes sense? All right. There's no other questions. He's got one. Go ahead. Okay, so his question is, how can you tell the difference between our own thoughts and the Holy Spirit's voice? Well, in the New Testament, um, Ezekiel chapter 37 um, and Jeremiah 31 the Bible talks about the new covenant that God's going to make with his people. In Jeremiah 31, he talks about how he's going to write his law in our hearts. And so it's not this exterior thing that we have to search out. Like seeking God in the New Testament is totally different than seeking God in the Old Testament. He's not outside. He's near. He's close. He's inside of us, but he's also near. His presence is resting on us. And um, and so he's written the, the law in the tablet of our hearts. And then Ezekiel says that he given, he's given us a new heart and a new spirit, and he's causing us to walk in his statutes. So the old covenant understanding is enforced obedience. The new covenant is empowered obedience. Now, in relation to hearing God's voice, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. One of the ways I like to see that is if I'm a sheep, I can hear if I'm yielded. And so if I'm not yielded, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be harder for me to distinguish what thoughts are of him and what aren't. But the first thing I would say foundationally is that if there are things springing forth from my heart, God has given me a new heart. So if I want to know what God's will is, he's put it in my heart. So like if I want to know what God's will is, ask a Christian because he's put it in their heart. Philippians 2.13, let me read it to you. Pull that up if you would in the New Living Translation. Philippians 2.13 in the NLT. Um, there's a really good verse that kind of encapsulates this. But hearing God's voice, okay, so when we, uh, I, I think Christians are way afraid to step out like, oh, that can't be God, that's me. Well, it could be a little bit of a mixture, but we learn, and we're never going to know unless, like, if, if we feel like God's telling us to pray for somebody. And we have to practice, we have to learn. And, and there's room for mistakes. This isn't the Old Testament. We're not going to get stoned and, you know, killed if we make a mistake like trying to give someone a word. Because Paul says the others judge. 
But hearing God's voice is not hard for the Christian because he's with us, he's in us, he's given us a new heart that can hear his voice. So how we discern a manifestation or a thought, it's going to glorify Jesus, it's going to bear fruit, it's going to agree with the scripture. Um, so if, if something agrees with the scripture and, uh, and, and it's glorifying who Jesus is and it's bearing fruit, I think that the word of God, Jesus, the word, the sword of the spirit, discerns and distinguishes and uh, divides asunder that which is good and that which isn't. And so we have to let him kind of take his word and, and you know, uh, and, and cut through the core of our being. But we have to understand that in deep in our heart, there's life. There's newness of life. Like a lot of people say, well, you know, the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful of all things. And we quote Old Testament things, um, even things that Jesus may have been quoting to the Pharisees. But that doesn't apply to the Christian. My heart is not desperately wicked. Jesus made it new. I'm not going to discount the work of heaven. I'm wholly redeemed. My flesh is now a temple. My body, my flesh, my sarks. Flesh in the Bible is not always sinful nature or sinfulness or the sinful cravings of our body. But sometimes it's just sarks. It's just body. It's just a meat sack. It's just an earth suit. And now my body's a temple. So I think we have to undo some of the thinking that like, oh, I don't want to think a thought that's not from you, or I don't want to say anything, or is that from you, or is that not? Um, The Lord will show you. The Holy Spirit always speaks truth. He can't lie. It's not in him. Satan's the father of lies. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And so he helps us, but he speaks truth. So discernment, it it becomes easier as we we mature and we practice. Like if the Lord's speaking something to us, and we, you know, I found myself like, instances where I'm like, I'm not going to call out anyone by name. You know, there's been times I've been in service and I felt like I heard a name and I said, someone here is praying for, and I said this name, it was a lady right here in that moment. I've never met this lady in my life praying for her daughter in kids church in that very moment. She was praying for her daughter, the Holy Spirit. That sounds like, but if I would have never spoke it out, I would have never known. Um, and so, you know, like I think, uh, this, this verse describes it pretty good. In, in Philippians 2, verse 13, it says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So it's a different paradigm, I think, than what sometimes we've been taught. Like, I've been taught in past, I've got to die, I've got to crucify myself, but I've already been crucified with Christ, according to the Bible. Or I've got to, I want to think the thoughts of God. Well, they're coming from deep inside my heart. Because I'm a new creation now. 2 Corinthians 5.17. New things have come. And Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 17 and 18. He says, the old man's perishing, but the outward man, I'm sorry, the outward man's perishing, but the inward man's being renewed day by day. So God's making me alive. Not every thought, desire, emotion, or feeling, or things that's going in, in me is good. And that's why the word of God divides asunder the good from the bad. But I, I don't need to be afraid from what's going on. And, and also whatever we're thinking about is, is usually like, why am I thinking this? It's because my heart is oriented in a direction. If my heart is oriented at my wife and my thoughts are going to be, Oh, she's beautiful. I love her. I'm so thankful for her. You know, if my heart is oriented at God's people and I'm like, God, I love pastoring a church. I love to be able to give someone truth that sets them free. Then my heart, my thoughts are going to be, man, I love our church. Man, look at those faithful people that are serving you. And and I'm not going to be thinking negative. You know what I'm saying? So my thoughts are shaped by the direction my heart is oriented. 
not the other way around. Greek culture says, I've got to change my thinking. Got to change. The heart is the center of the being. If I set my heart on something, then my thoughts change. I think Milo um, one time put it on Facebook a long time ago, talked about the difference between captivated and captivating thoughts. If my heart's captivated, it's easy to take thoughts captive. So set your heart on the Lord. Posture your heart at the Lord. Psalm 73 is one of my favorites. And the whole journey of the psalmist is about setting his heart back at heaven and, um, and, and realizing there's none on earth I desire besides you. And that will help grace even shapes our thoughts. The power of God's spirit flowing from heaven helps us, you know, he is causing us now to walk in his statutes, Ezekiel 37, 36. So uh, the new covenant is that now God is making me alive. He's empowering me to think right, to live right. And does that make sense? And so um, the word of God, the scripture, Jesus, the word, he helps us distinguish what's of him and what's not of him. But we can't be afraid and think, well, what's, is that you, God, or is that not you? We learn, you know. But posture your heart like a sheep because he says, my sheep hear my voice. He's the shepherd. So if I posture my heart, like, then my, that will help me receive, you know. It's like drinking water. I have to posture myself to come under the glass as it's being tilted. Well, um, did you guys enjoy that? Yeah. <clears throat> Um, I'm going to have ask the prayer team to come up. If you could just come and stand here and make yourself available if anybody needs prayer. Um, if you would like to stay for next service, we're going to have impartation service, and Zach's going to preach a little bit. And, um, and thank you for coming. Thank you for joining us this morning. We um, love to have you, so let me just bless you. Can we not have a prayer team? Do we have a prayer team? Oh, thank you. There we go. Yay. Um, Father, we thank you so much for, um, for who you are, for your word that reveals what the letter says. I just, I just appreciate our pastor and how he just illuminates things to us in amazing ways. So, God, I thank you for giving him that grace and um, for us, our hearts, to just receive that this morning. I pray for every person, every life of of person in this room, that you would just go with the grace of the Lord this week um, in health and healing, prosperity in every way. In Jesus' name, amen.